I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC is our week by week, or I do that every time. It's not week by week. It's every two weeks. You guys know that. I know that too. <laughs> so it's our bi-weekly <laughs> uh, podcast where we revisit every book in the Babysitter's Club series, book by book, episode by episode, and discuss them and talk about Generation BSC, which when we started, we thought was just ours micro generation that, you know, might also be referred to as the Oregon Trail generation, Generation Catalano. But we've come to realize that it's really anyone who grows up with the Babysitter's Club or picks it up as an adult or pretty much anyone who likes the Babysitter's Club. So welcome to Generation BSC, the podcast and the group that we've decided is the is going to be called that. This is a really random intro, but <laughs> it is what it is. So Lauren, what book are we reading this week? <laughs> I love that we got such a fun intro from you because it, this is not the most fun of the books. Um, <laughs> Maybe subconsciously, I was trying to like hype us up for this dis- discussion that we're going to be having. I don't know. <laughs> right? Because there's a very misleading exclamation point in this title. <laughs> um this week, we are up to book 28 in the series, which is Welcome Back, Stacy! Um, it was released in October 1989 and was one of the – we're getting right to the end of the Anne M. Martin era, but this was Anne herself. Um, and basically, as we – well, I'll just say we predicted correctly, right? Last week, we we both said that um, we did not think that the – the whole book was about Stacy returning to Stony Brook. We thought this might be the divorce book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were we were very, very right. So let's let's see what the back of the how the back of the book describes it, and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. Stacy's parents have been fighting a lot lately. Even so, she's still not prepared for the terrible news. Her parents are getting divorced. Not only is Stacy sad and angry, but now she has a big decision to make. Stacy must either stay in New York with her father or move out with her mother to Stony Brook. Could Stacy really leave the city, her father, her best friend Lane, and all that great shopping? But then again, how could Stacy pass up going back to her old school, all the kids in Stony Brook, and the members of the Babysitters Club? I really appreciate the back of the book description. Like it, because it it really yeah. does sort of capture everything that Stacy's going through. I mean, there maybe is a little bit more in there. Obviously, we'll get into it, but like it's very sort of black and white. Like she has this difficult decision to make. It, she's going through a hard time regardless, and then she has to make this decision on top of it. Like, good job, back of the book writer this time. <laughs> like, there's no crazy right? over the topness. There's no unnecessary exclamation points. Although, as you did point out, there is an unnecessary exclamation point in the title. Although, I guess. By the end of the book, it is very much welcome back, Stacy, because you could read it as That's like true. the rest of the Babysitter's Club saying it to her, because obviously they are all very excited that she has come back, um, Claudia in particular, but all of them are excited to have her back. And, you know, even by the end of the book, she's babysitting for Charlotte again. And so it's – they're Stony Brook right. is excited to welcome her back. She's still – even – again, we'll get into it, but even after she comes back, she's still a little bit like – sad that she's not in New York still. Even though she is happy to be in Stony Brook, she's not – she's just she, – she's ambivalent. I think that that's a good way to put it since yep. I already said that once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that actually the pretty recently the last couple of, of back of the book um, 
summaries have been much, much more on point mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the like super outsized first ones or like a couple that didn't talk about the actual book plot at all. Right. They focused on like didn't a happen. one piece of one chapter. And it's like, that's not really what happened in this book. Like technically, yes, it happened, but that's not what this book is about. <laughs> not the point. So I I just find that fascinating. I mean, this really just started us as a silly exercise that I clearly have gotten sillier with um, <laughs> as the weeks have gone on. Um, but, you know, just sort of more curiosity. Mm-hmm. But now I am really kind of fascinated with like, with how, what they are choosing to put on the back of the book and how they're selling it and right. what what's important about that. Maybe I'm overthinking things today, but um, <laughs> I, I just think it's kind of fascinating that um, there has been... It hasn't been drastic in that it was sudden, but it it has been a pretty drastic shift overall um, in terms of the tone and maybe even intent mm-hmm. of the back of the book summaries. No, so. I would definitely agree, especially because like part of the reason why when we started recording way back at Christie's Great Idea, part of the reason why you went that sort of over melodramatic, overly dramatic, melodramatic way of reading was because the back of the book was so sort of ridiculous with, you know, five exclamation points scattered throughout. And so it was like, well, it makes sense to be over the top and doing this dramatic reading. And so it's been interesting to see as we've gone along. Obviously, it's still a dramatic reading, but it's not like a dramatic reading if that <laughs> if my tone came across. Yes. But like, so it, it has been interesting that like, it really is just, you know, you're just reading something and it sort of makes sense with the book and that what actually happens. And so it sort of has been interesting for me doing the our descriptions because usually I had to really like drive home how wrong the back of the book was, but now they're right. you know, obviously I still do the my summary and it's more detailed, but it's less about like well actually here's what really happened. It's more like <laughs> exactly. let me just flesh out a little bit more of the back of the book for people listening who maybe didn't just reread this book like we did, <laughs> so you have some context for what we're talking about. Right, so it's not coming out of nowhere. Exactly. So. Speaking of that, why don't you do that for us? Let us know what's not coming out of nowhere. <laughs> that I can do. Okay, so the Stacy specific plot in this book. After a cute babysitting job with Henry and Grace Walker, Stacy comes home to her parents fighting loudly about her mom's shopping and her dad's focus on work at the expense of quote unquote family time. It's been happening a lot and Stacy can't deal, so she heads over to Lane's house to avoid everything and ends up calling the babysitters club during a meeting at Lane's suggestion. And talking to all of her friends, including her two best friends, seems to help. Unfortunately, she comes home to her parents sitting her down and announcing they are getting a divorce and telling her that it is her decision as to where she lives and with whom. Stacy initially avoids her parents entirely because she's angry, but then attempts a few parent trap-esque schemes to try to stop the divorce, but is ultimately and expectedly unsuccessful. Stacy and her mom take a Saturday trip to Stony Brook to look at potential houses, despite Stacy not having decided where to live yet, and the fourth one's a charm. It's a small house from the 1880s that backs up to the Pikes house. Stacy ends up staying in Stony Brook that night, and the Babysitter's Club has a sleepover at Claudia's house, after which Stacy admits to herself that New York really is home. Stacy takes a cue from her mom making a pros and cons list about the house in Stony Brook and makes one for herself to decide between New York and Stony Brook, and the results are obviously in Stony Brook's favor, like we had any doubt. Stacy tells her parents, and her mom takes the house by the pikes in a process that is literally nothing like real life, and the family starts coordinating moving, which goes extremely quickly given how much is involved in moving from one apartment to two separate homes and splitting everything up. Stacy finally makes it back to Stony Brook and gets settled in and things are back to normal. 
So the Babysitter's Club generally. The Babysitter's Club plays an even more supporting role than usual, which is great given the subject matter in this book. There's not really a shoehorned in subplot, so we have more time to focus on the main storyline dealing with Stacy and her parents' divorce. But seriously, the Babysitter's Club is fully there for Stacy and supports her the whole time. So I have really kind of mixed feelings about this book. And one of the things I'm sort of struggling with is how much of this is just because it didn't resonate with me and how much of it is because it doesn't actually feel emotional. So let me let me back up a, a second. I jumped to the conclusion or the question <laughs> without laying out the problem. Go figure. Um, so basically this book left me a little cold. I found it to be a little bit more clinical than um, some of the other ones dealing with like just in comparison, for example, to Sad Goodbye. We just said goodbye to Mimi and that was all. We talked a lot about how um, caring and compassionate everyone was and and, or or the book was to its characters Mm -hmm. even rather. And it's not that this isn't. And this is where I'm struggling is because I is was the fact that I was left cold because it was so, as you alluded to, kind of overstuffed and things happen really, really quickly. And there are some things that are fairly obvious based on, you know, the name of the book and the book series that we're reading. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, obviously, some of the that tension is is not there. But I really – I don't know if if it's just because while I've had the experience of losing people, I have not been through a divorce. And this is – I know this is one of the areas that – actually, with this is – sounds like a sidebar, but it really is the main – with the point, if you bear with me for one <laughs> second. Um, one of the things I was thinking about reading this book this week were our predictions and how – fun it is to go in blind and be like, oh, yeah, that's this book, it's this book. But it also stops us from being able to maybe engage with someone who has more experience and more of an emotional resonance with this Mm -hmm. book, because neither you or I have this experience. So I was thinking about that in the context of, of, did this leave me cold because I of the way that it's presented, of the way that the book is, would would it leave anybody cold or did it leave me cold because I just didn't have an emotional um, connection to it and so it didn't work on me the way that it would on someone else? That was really rambling, but do you understand what I mean? No, and I was actually going to say I had the exact same thought while reading this. Um, you know, I I wish that we had had a little bit more – I mean, like you said, we made the predictions, like, we're pretty sure this is the one where Stacey's parents get divorced. And we've sort of been noting it as there's been the foreshadowing in books leading up to this. But, like, it, I wish that we had been able to sort of plan ahead and have maybe somebody who read this book before their parents went through a divorce or read this book right after their parents went through a divorce or both. Because I think that you and I are not necessarily – able to come at it from the same way that someone who, especially as a child, went through what Stacey has gone through. And I think that it makes it a little bit more difficult for us to have it feel as close to home as, like you said, uh, Claudia and the sad goodbye. Like we've both lost family members, friends, people that are very close to us. We've gone through the same thing that Claudia has gone through. Whereas with this book, it's not necessarily something that you and I feel 
like we can relate to and we can't really feel the same way that Stacy feels. And I think it would be interesting and maybe we can do like a, a very special episode where we come back to this book with people. And if there's anyone listening who feels a particular resonance with this book, we would love to hear from you and potentially see if we can come up with a way to get you on the episode, get you on a future episode. Um, but yeah, reading this book, it felt very sort of not not paint by numbers necessarily, because I don't think that that's really the case exactly. But I do feel like all of the beats of Stacy's story were sort of very surface level. And you didn't really get a lot of emotional reaction from her. Like, obviously, she's upset. She doesn't want her parents to get divorced. She tries to come up with ideas to get her parents back together. But the way that we sort of got to hear Claudia's inner monologue with Claudia and the Sad Goodbye, we don't necessarily get it the same way with Stacy. And obviously, your parents getting divorced is not the same as losing your beloved grandmother. You know, obviously, the emotional impact on you is going to be different. But your parents getting divorced is a, another type of loss because you're losing the family that you've had your entire life. You're losing, especially in Stacy's case, going back to Stony Brook, she's losing the life in New York that she had before and that she had come to really love again. And that feeling that New York is home and she's no longer going to be in her home. But we don't get the same dialogue, not not dialogue, monologue from Stacy about what she's really feeling other than I'm angry that my parents are getting a divorce. I'm sort of in denial about it. She does, I guess, to a certain degree, go through those you know, steps of grieving. But it's just not the same. And <laughs> I, I mean, that's a long way of me saying, yes, 100%, I felt the same way that you did reading this book. <laughs> no, but I so appreciated you going through that because I think it it helped sort of crystallize for me what it was that I was feeling. and. It, you'd said in particular, like checking things off or something along mm-hmm. those lines. And it, it really did to me feel, um, I, I think you're right. I think paint bright numbers is overly harsh, but it did feel almost like that there was some kind of internal checklist mm-hmm. that was happening. Like we need to touch on this. We need to touch on this. We need to touch on this. That felt like we were hitting beats rather than letting something happen organically. And I feel a little bit crazy <laughs> saying that about like I yes I understand we're talking about the babysitters club books like (laughs) I'm aware of what we're talking about and you know because I just felt my English major coming out hardcore there but it was but it just yeah I think it it did feel clinical maybe is the word I'm looking for rather than emotional and I, I don't necessarily think that that's a terrible thing and like I said or like we both acknowledged it just may be that it felt clinical to us because it doesn't have the emotional resonance. Maybe for someone else, it would have a much stronger emotional core. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, the biggest problem that I had is that it felt like we didn't, and I, I, this is such a common complaint for me at this point, but it felt like we didn't have enough time to let all of this breathe. So we had, you know, hints of their divorce for coming for, like you said, for a while now. But one of the downsides of having the books, you know, spend time with each individual character is that often these big life events get condensed into mm-hmm. these one books. And like I said, we're doing it, they're doing a better job of like threading them through. They're definitely like, uh, 
after last week's sort of random dropped in episode, if you will, book, rather, we're the episode, they're the books. <laughs> um, you've got me doing it too. Um, last week's just sort of felt dropped in or like almost out of order. Mm-hmm. This week we did get, you know, the acknowledgement of of Mimi's loss and what that's been like for Claudia. I mean, kind of. It It is sort of just like um, – it's been really hard for her, but yeah. she's doing very well. Like, but it at least mentions it, because that was the thing we commented on in the last book. Yeah. Like, there's not even a mention that Claudia has recently lost Mimi. So, yeah, it sort of feels like maybe they wrote this, maybe they wrote Jesse and the Super Brat after this, but decided, oh, let's publish that so it's not like a death and then a divorce immediately after. You know, like, because sometimes, you know, TV shows yeah. will be like, yeah, let's let's switch up how these episodes are aired. And it, it would not surprise me to learn that Maybe not even just with these couple of books, but like if the Scholastic or Anna Martin or whoever decided, eh, let's let's reorder how these books are actually going to be published so that kids aren't getting, you know, too many of the same storylines back to back or too many sad yep. things or too many funny things or, you know, too much focus on a certain character in, in you know, too many books in a row or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, la- last, the last book definitely just sort of felt like Hey, here's a an intermission. Like as we discussed, yeah. we both really liked it, but um it definitely felt like a I don't know, a, a pause. <laughs> like I said, it was an intermission for sure. Yes, definitely. Whereas this definitely picked up some of those more emotional beats. And I think that does like we talked about last last episode go a, a lot to the ghostwriter thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's lots of reasons that could be and the problem with the fact that we do only get to focus on one girl per book is that, as it should be, their focus is on themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. that makes sense. That's the kind of the whole point. And they they still acknowledge what's going on for other people, but we don't just we don't get to see as much of it. So everything gets sort of condensed really, really briefly into where we don't get to see the time of you know, Stacy really dealing with the fact that her parents are getting a divorce and then a book about her dealing with where to go mm-hmm. live with them. You know, I feel like which which would be more what we would see happen if it was just one girl. Right. So I think that, that that's a really interesting give and take that I haven't really thought a lot about to this point because now we're getting deeper into the series. Real things are starting to happen to them and, uh, you know, things with lasting impacts. I'm also curious to see if that's going to keep up because I have a feeling we're moving more towards um, things just sort of stay status quo for a while mm-hmm. and we get more of the like plunked in books like last week because, uh, well, clearly I've, I I don't even have anything to put on my timeline murder board because <laughs> they they have not mentioned even a season mm-hmm. in the last couple of books. Yeah. So – I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that all goes. But I that really is, I, I think, contributed, especially in this one, to feeling like things were just sort of happening to Stacey and she wasn't really feeling or processing any of them. I feel like there was a lot of tell and not a lot of show. Like, maybe that's, maybe that's what mm-hmm. I'm responding to. Like, in Claudia and the Sad Goodbye, we see the things that she does at each part of her stage of grief. Like, right, we see her get angry. We see how she responds in that anger. We see um, her denial and we see how, like, that she has to stay out of the bedroom and doesn't want to look at the pictures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we get to see what those things are. In this one, 
Stacy says I'm sad and angry about a million times. Right. Well, and even her parent trap situation, she's like, on Monday I tried this. On Tuesday I tried this. It's like five sentences. We don't even actually see, you know, I mean, obviously she's narrating this entire book, but it's not like she's like the way that it's normally narrated. It's like, oh, last week I did this, I did this, I did this, and I did this, and none of them worked. And and it's not, yeah, I think think tell not show is a, a big part of this one for sure. I, now that you mentioned that, like that sort of crystallizes for me exactly sort of what the the issue is. It's like it's just Stacy saying, "I feel sad, I feel angry, I don't know what to do. I'm going to try to trick my parents into staying together." But we don't actually see her like processing it in any real way, aside from just saying, "I'm upset about this." Or like we hear that she cried, or that she locked the door, but we don't actually feel that. Mm-hmm. That all being said, as far as a model for behavior, as far as, you know, tackling real subjects for kids, I do have to say this one came back to me quite a bit as we were reading it because it was pretty important to me in my childhood when I was old enough to understand when friends' parents started getting divorced. Mm -hmm. I I went to a very Catholic school. Like I've shared a couple of times that my parents are incredibly Catholic. So, you know, Catholic schools my whole life. So as you can imagine, there weren't a ton of divorces, especially early on. So I vividly remember when those, the first time I was aware of what that was, what was happening. And I remember this book as being kind of a a guidebook um, for me of of understanding a little bit about what was going on, you know, like they talk about things like joint custody in this. And Stacey's parents are like, how do you know what joint custody mm-hmm. is? And she's like, I just know, which I thought was really funny because that's such a typical teenage response. I just do. Right. She had just told us, the reader, how she knew, but like to her parents was like, I just do. Which I understand was also the book not wanting to repeat itself, but right. I, I found it fun. I found it funny. Yeah. But I like, I'm pretty sure that this book is where I learned what that meant. So uh, you know, that's when when my mom asked, where did you learn? I'm like, I just do. <laughs> but really, the answer is the babysitter's <laughs> the club. The babysitter's club. So uh, on that level, and I, I'm wondering if that also contributes to my lack of an emotional response now is because at the time, I don't think I was reading it super emotionally. I think I was reading it, I was reading it very clinically, mm-hmm. um, going back to that word, because I was using it almost as that checklist, almost as that manual to be like, okay, so that's what this means. This is how that works or this is how this is supposed to look. These are likely some of the things that are going on. It was an interesting reaction that I had to it. Whereas, like I said, a lot of the memories come back with like such a, oh my God, I remember this. Oh yeah. This was a much more somber, like, oh yes, I remember not studying it. I didn't, it wasn't like it was a text that I carried around, but it definitely was something that, that resonated and, stuck with me more than I realized, I guess, is what it was my big reaction. Um, do you remember reading this one at all? So I, it was really interesting just listening to you say that because I, when we talked about this to do our predictions, I, you know, in my head, I was sort of like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I read this one. I don't have any real recollection. And then reading it, I sort of remembered, oh, right, I did read this. But the only time it really like, I had one of those moments of like, oh, yes, I remember reading this, was at the very end when Stacy and her mom have moved back to Stony Brook and the movers put their furniture in the wrong bedrooms. Like they put 
each other's furniture in the other's bedroom. That was the only time that I was like, oh, yes, I remember that completely. But so obviously I did read this book as a kid, but like I don't have any recollection, even after now having reread it so we could talk about it. I don't have any recollection of actually reading it as a kid other than that one moment being like, I remember that from when I read it as a kid. So I'm sure that I learned all of these things from that because, again, I did not have a lot of friends that had divorced parents growing up, especially when I would have been the age reading this book. So I'm sure that I did learn about all of these things from this book, but I I don't know. I <laughs> It's like completely just like a blank spot in my brain as to like when exactly I read this book, how it impacted me as a kid, um, which is really weird for me because I usually do, uh, like we've talked about, when we're talking about the books, I sort of might, when we're doing predictions, be like, I think I read it. I don't know. And then when we actually read, I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely read this one. Or, oh, no, I definitely didn't read this one. This one, I was sort of just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I read it until that one moment. But like, I just feel like I feel like the issue that I have mostly with this book is the fact that for a family that has kids to be going through a divorce, and again, not something that I've ever experienced, so maybe this is me just making assumptions, but I feel like the biggest issue I have with this is how fast everything moves. And I know that part mm-hmm. of that is because everything in in these books, all these big moments have to take place over the course of a book for the most part, because it just makes sense for from the storytelling perspective. These books are sort of, you read one, you don't necessarily have to read the next one in order. So you don't have to worry about continuity quite as much. So like, you know, Mimi actually dying and Claudia processing her grief has to happen in one book. Stacey's parents telling her they're getting divorced and her deciding to move back to Stony Brook has to happen in one book. But like, you know, in the first chapter, her parents are fighting. She goes to Lane's house. She comes home. They tell her, you know, we've been going to counseling. The counselor is helping us, helped us decide to get a divorce. Now we're, you know, she's already got us in touch with lawyers. And it's just like, well, you guys were just having the same fights you've been having, you know, like two hours ago before you tell Stacey that you're getting a divorce. You're having the same fight about money. And it's like, I understand you'd probably continue to fight because that's, you know, your relationship breaking down. But like, if you're already at the place where you've decided to get a divorce and there are already lawyers involved, like, why are you still fighting about her going to Tiffany's and spending $1,500? Like, it, right. it doesn't, I think that was the bigger thing is like, because everything has to move so quickly, like, it logically doesn't make sense the way that this story progresses. It's like, everything's on a really sped up timeline. And I feel like if there maybe could have been, the same story beats, but make it more clear that it's happening over a few over months. weeks or months. Right, because it makes it yeah. seem like it's, you know, it starts on a Monday and then by, you know, two weeks later, Stacy's moving back to Stony Brook. And maybe the timeline's a little bit off, but that's probably what it is. And so I feel like it's not believable to me that, like, everything would happen within, like, a week. And then, you know, they have a week to pack up their house and then – they're moved. And it it just – it doesn't make sense to me. And I <laughs> I think that's my bigger issue. It's like that's why it feels so clinical because it's like this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. And maybe that's part of the reason why we aren't able to get quite the same emotional reaction from Stacey because she has to process everything so quickly and there's not really any time for her to just sort of sit with her thoughts or express her thoughts to us in a way other than just saying, 
I was sad. I cried. I talked to the Babysitter's Club. They helped me. I came home. My parents told me this. And, you know, I got upset. And then I tried to get them back together. And, like, because everything has to happen for the story to make some kind of sense, it has to be just this, like, mechanical, you know, list of events and not enough time to really breathe in any of those one individual moments. So it just sort of ends up... I think that's probably part of the reason for me why it just feels so cold and not not at all the way that we felt two books ago reading about Mimi. I think that's exactly uh, – you hit the nail on the head there in terms of the timeline wonkiness. Uh, it, you're right. It's not so much about the overall books anymore as much as it is the internal books mm-hmm. like it, it, within the one book because – it's like a freaking TARDIS, you know, it takes much bigger on the inside, takes much longer, you know, like how long are uh, our days in this universe, (laughs) right? Like three years, because really, I think she even says at the toward the end that like, those two weeks were so crazy. So it's not even like that they're being vague about the timeline. They're, They're pretty clear that on what the timeline is within the book, but there's no way that that's at all possible. And and maybe so, again, this could go back to some of my lack of divorce knowledge. Um, But in my limited experience with divorce and my, you know, experience of it through media, divorces take time. It's not like a instantaneous, you know, we've decided to break up. So we're broken up. Mm -hmm. Like there's property. And I feel like the couple isn't fighting over, who's keeping what as it's going into the moving vans. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe so, but I like, it feels like that's all decided. I thought that would be legally attorney. Um, (laughs) Wouldn't something like that be figured out, you know, ahead of time. I thought divorces were pretty, uh, well, I guess maybe they do just say, you know, split of communal property. I don't know, but you're right. It seemed so fast. It seemed so completely illogical. And in a weird way, not only did it make it seem cold, but it also made it seem um, more of a high stakes, high pressure situation where – and I don't think that that got acknowledged enough mm-hmm. because they do they do talk about repeatedly the concept that – of, you know, Stacey getting to decide what she wants to do is in some ways a great, you know, best case scenario because her parents are not fighting over her and it's mm-hmm. not, you know, super contentious in that way about her. I mean, right. they're clearly fighting and contentious, but not putting her in the middle of that. However, that does still put her in this really, really terrible position of having to choose between her parents. And I feel like that is what should really be the focus on for or what I wish were the focus on, what we really got to look at with Stacy's emotions around that mm-hmm. and really spend the time with not just Stony Brook versus New York, but mom or dad and what that means and what that feels like to have to be the one to choose, to be the one put in that position, knowing that you are going to hurt someone mm-hmm. um, and how unfair that is. And, um, it, you know, it's it's kind of funny. It's uh, almost a dark mirror to um, Jesse's parents last week where we were praising them for, you know, knowing when not to give an answer and letting them work it out for themselves. And this is certainly that type of situation. You want her to make you what I'm – I don't want to say I'm proud of them. That just sounds so weird. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a great thing that they are giving her this agency that they are um, – allowing her to make her own 
choices about where she's going to live her life. Mm -hmm. And that's a great thing that has some really serious negative downsides that get acknowledged, but not explored. Mm -hmm. And then because there's not enough time for it. So then on top of that, she's asked to make this super fraught choice in a super fast time frame. It seems like, hey, we need your answer tomorrow. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we told you you're getting divorced yesterday. They even said you've processed it for 24 hours. Now it's time to make decisions. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, processed for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And now we're expecting a 13-year-old to be fine and make these massive choices. And I felt like that time pressure, that need to go, 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 get it done, get it done, Um. While that makes sense, I can see how the people in the the McGills want to get it over with and, you know, get started with their new lives. But they give Stacey zero time to process, even because it sounds like they've been processing, right? right. They've been counseling. Yeah. They've been dealing with this. They've already come to the decision to divorce. So they have plenty of time to process. And then Stacey gets 24 hours and then has to decide who to live with in two days. Like, that just seems like so much pressure to put on a kid that doesn't get acknowledged enough that 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 their their urgent sense of urgency is creating another form of pressure on mm-hmm. Stacy. Well, and I also I really while I appreciate that neither of her parents sort of goes out of their way to try to pressure her to choose one way or the other or make her feel badly about not choosing them. Um I don't I really don't like the fact that they basically just say it's up to you and that's it. Like she mm-hmm. doesn't have any kind of support. They you know they uh, clearly they feel like some kind of counseling or therapy is good and they're supportive of that concept. Why the hell didn't they get some kind of support for Stacy? You know, why exactly. why hasn't she been seeing some kind of therapist or counselor while they've been in marriage counseling, you know, like clearly this, their home situation has not been great. And they even acknowledge their home situation has not been great since Mr. McGill got transferred to Stony Brook in the first place, which was like a year and a half ago. So why they've, so like they've been having problems for, we'll say it's been a year and a half ish. Whenever they decided we should go to counseling, why wasn't Stacy also taken to counseling, whether it's family therapy of them all together or her individually, like clearly they they find therapy to be something good and beneficial to the people or person in therapy. But why did they only feel that way about themselves? I really feel like it does a disservice to this story, especially with the quick pace that Stacy has no one to turn to aside from Lane and the Babysitter's Club. You know, like, the best advice she can get is from Dawn. And Dawn, while Mm -hmm. acknowledging 100%, Dawn, as always, is the best friend in the Babysitter's Club, she's just a kid whose parents happen to have also gone through a divorce. And while she tries to give good advice, I I had copied some of it. I can't find it, you know, while I'm talking. But, like, it, you know, she's basically just sort of, like, it sucks until it doesn't. You know, like, and yeah. that that's great to hear and like you know it, it gets better however people relay that it, it gets better advice whether it's in this situation or other but that is not helpful in helping her decide where she should live <laughs> you know like or how she should process her parents getting a divorce because 
like I said at some point during our conversation, like she is going, she's losing something. She's losing the family that she knows and loves and was comfortable with and where she felt like she belonged and that no longer exists. So she has a lot of processing to do. And it, I think does a disservice to sort of put it on Stacy to figure out that processing alone. Cause at least with Claudia, she had her family to turn to when she was going through losing Mimi and they were going through the same thing. And I think her parents are going through the same thing. Obviously it's a little bit different than, you know, analogizing to Claudia and her family because they're all sort of going through the same thing. Whereas Stacy mm-hmm. is going through something slightly different than both of her parents, but they're all losing the family that they've had for the last 13 plus years and no one is being there for Stacy <laughs> and it just makes me angry and like I didn't even think I would I was angry about it until I started talking but it's like I'm pissed off that Stacy's just sort of like thrown to the wolves like yeah you're 13 you can decide where you want to live and hopefully you'll be fine in the future not having any kind of support going through this divorce that's exactly what I mean about like the th- no one's really acknowledging how hard this is for Stacy, right? And I, I, I mean, and that feels weird to say because because they're they are, but it all feels superficial. Yeah, I think that that's what shallow is. Maybe what we're sort of dancing around here, because yeah, that's exactly what I was. I, I was I, you articulated it so much better than than I did. But this idea that like I, I think that they think that they're doing all the right things mm-hmm. by you know having the decisions made by giving Stacy her agency, but no one's actually acknowledging what that is actually doing to her Mm -hmm. what what she's actually being involved in and i i think that so i think some of it may be the times in that you know couples counseling was was already a zeitgeisty type thing you know by the late 80s early 90s when these were coming out but i don't know that like kids therapy was as much the norm although i suppose in new york if it was going to be anywhere it would (laughs) it would be there so i'm going to give a little bit of a pass on them not getting her into therapy like right away when they went into counseling. And at the same time, then I think back to, but she also had this huge health thing. Like, mm-hmm. yes, she should have been getting some help a, a long time ago. Right. And Dawn's a tra- traumatized kid right now too. Like her, her brother just left and chose to move across the country. Mm-hmm. And she literally witnessed what it felt like to be the person who left it. Like you said, it was fine as far as advice went, but I was disappointed that we didn't get more of an acknowledgement of Dawn being like, oh my God, I can't even imagine what this feels like. It Here's what it feels like to be on this end of it. And the other thing that I was just thinking about that is, uh, it was along the therapy lines, and now I can't remember exactly what sparked it. But basically, I think that the book tries to play it both ways in terms of wanting to sort of indicate that kids know more than you think they know. Mm-hmm. Like the level of sophistication and, and awareness that Stacy has around not only the divorce, but what their her parents' issues are and like understanding those issues. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but like acknowledging that both of them have a, are correct in, in that <laughs> right. to a degree. She gets, you know what's happening and what I'm responding to is she's getting parentified. Mm-hmm. When they're packing up, I can't remember the exact quote, but they're deciding who gets what. And Stacy makes some offhand remark about how they're not fighting fair, so she had to decide. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not blow past the fact that this now 13-year-old girl is mediating the terms of her parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. Like, when she's on the day that she is leaving her 
watching her family disintegrate, leaving her capital H home, uh, you know, that is infuriating. And I think that the problem is, is the book wants to be maybe not applauded. I don't know that it's necessarily that, but it feels proud of itself mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, look how much Stacy actually knows and understands. But it doesn't take it that step farther to say that the book recognizes what she knows and understands and recognizes what that means for her. Mm-hmm. And that level of sophistication at 13 is usually a some kind of trauma response and not it doesn't have to I don't say trauma to mean like massive, you know, huge trauma, but divorce like this. This is trauma. Mm-hmm. Having to decide what parent to live with that causes trauma. We all have uh, have that kind of trauma in our life. And often it's kids who have ha- been forced to be more mature, who have been forced to in positions through situations like this to take on more, to be more responsible and mature and adult. And so that sophistication that people, I think, sometimes are so quick to praise often comes from a really insidious place. And I think that there's a lot of parallel there to, like, child actors, too, Mm -hmm. where, you know, they get so praised for being these little adults and then – but they don't really – you don't really think about why they're being little adults and what the impact of having to be little adults on them is. That was not a grammatically correct sentence, but I think you got. <laughs> yeah, no, I. I, <laughs> I think you got the gist. Definitely. Yeah, I. I don't know. Like as I was reading, I felt like this is pretty good. And like as soon as I finished it, and I thought back more through it, and like started working on our you know recording guide, I was just like, the more I thought about it, I was just like I don't really like this one. <laughs> yeah, I. I think it made me angrier than I. Th- I mm-hmm. thought it did. I had to like like take some deep breaths. I literally psyched myself up to record this one because I was like, do you, you know, there's no need to go on a 10 hour rant the way that you, I am want to do mm-hmm. about how much Stacy's parents suck. And I, I, I can feel myself getting heated up again, the more, the more that we're talking mm-hmm. about it because they really, it's not. And the thing is, it's not that they, it's complicated because it's on the surface. They're doing a lot of the quote unquote, right things. Mm-hmm. It's, only when you sort of put them all together and and then throw in the condensed time frame that that it it gets messy and that's i don't know maybe maybe one of the reasons that it is like that is because divorce is messy and it's mm-hmm. supposed to be and and you're not supposed to know what you're feeling and things no matter how slow things go maybe things do feel that fast for a for a kid in that situation and you know, maybe that's speaking to something that we just aren't capable of understanding. I think I might be giving it a little bit too much benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt there. But, you know, I, I definitely am holding space for the possibility that we're going to hear back from some people like, no, no, you've got it all wrong, mm-hmm. which I'd be I would love to, like, like you said, I'd love to get that perspective. But uh, it just, it angered me, because it felt like, to me, it felt far more concerned with, like, these are the things that you should know and look how smart these kids are than really having the space and compassion for what it feels like to be a kid in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so more textbook, less touchy-feely, which is not a balance that these books usually get wrong for me. Yeah. I think it's – I don't know. I 
I would love to have some insight into like the writing process for this one. And because it might be that Anna Martin, when she was writing this, had no real touch points in her actual life for divorce. So she was maybe using a textbook and maybe not a a literal textbook, but, you know, maybe that's part of why it's more surface level. It would be like if you or I was trying to write this book as opposed to someone who had maybe had that experience. So So that's really interesting point because as I was reading, uh, you know, as hard of a time as we had pinpointing exactly what it was that we were feeling about it, I did know that it felt like something was lacking. And I asked myself the question, I wonder if this is something that Anne has personal experience with or if this is something that she feels like like a a topic to tackle. Mm -hmm. And in the letter that's in the back of the electronic versions of the books, uh, you know, I've I've mentioned these a couple of times Mm -hmm. now, she notes that while Stacy was away, she realized she was a crucial member of the club and wanted her to come back and was trying to figure out how to do that. And around that same time, she was getting more and more letters from mm. readers whose parents were going through divorce. So she decided to write a book about one of their favorite characters in their position. So that's how the idea for Welcome Back, Stacy was born. So to me, that does feel much less of a personal connection than she yeah. usually shares in those letters. Maybe it was a, a case of, you know... It doesn't feel emotional because she didn't feel emotional about it. Mm-hmm. And and it maybe it is just, you know, checking those. These are the psychological boxes we think we should talk about in, at this time, you know. Because like we said, we've acknowledged that our views on, on mental health and particularly around children's mental health in conjunction with parents is has come leaps and bounds in the last 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. So I, I think – we do have to give some grace for the fact that, you know, we are looking at this through 2021 lens rather than 1989 in terms of, you know, how some certain things are handled and talked about. And that is not a get out of jail free card right. by any means, because there are certainly things that could have been, I think, given more room is the, the the best way that I can say it, because it's not that any of them were bad in and of themselves. And I think that they were all any one of the the things, you know, her having to decide where to live, her having to decide which parent to live with, her um, dealing with divorce, having to tell people, feeling embarrassed. At one point, Stacey mentions she feels embarrassed to tell Lane. You know, all of those things feel like they could have been their own topic. Mm-hmm. And because they all get thrown together, there's just not a lot of space to let them really resonate as emotionally. So I think we're kind of beating a dead horse a little bit with with that particular mm-hmm. point. <laughs> so let's switch gears just a little bit because it's not completely unrelated. We've been talking about how maybe the, the lack of emotional resonance on Anne's level led to some of what we feel. And I think that really ties in to a lot of the conversation we've been having about how the Ramses are portrayed and talked about, how the Kishis are portrayed and talked about, how even the, quote, street person – on that we met Judy from um what book was that when they uh We Love New York or Claudia's mistake, Stacy's mistake, one of their mistakes. Somebody's mistake. Um when the when the when they came to New York and we met the Judy and they, you know, the parents solved the homelessness crisis in New York by volunteering to the soup kitchen. <laughs> um all of those all of those aspects are you can feel the disconnect. You can feel that it's not someone who's actually had these experiences mm-hmm. who actually has lived this talking about it. And that came across uh, 
for me definitely a couple of times in this one, particularly around Claudia and her physical description. Once again, perfect complexion, long hair, almond eyes, you know, all those markers that we talk about. Mm -hmm. But I was also really struck by the way that Stacy is so very clinical about Jesse um, and the Ramsey's experience in Stony Brook. So once again, we get the, um, as we noted before, that also she's black, where it, it feels very much of that of the time, oh, we're colorblind, so we only mention it because we feel like we have to. Mm-hmm. But that's really not important. Or, or worse, embarrassed. Oh, she even says, I guess another thing you should know about the Walkers is that they're black. There aren't too many black families in our building. You know what's funny, though? When I'm with the Walkers, I don't think of them as black, just as people. I feel the same way when I'm with Jesse Ramsey. So, like, that is that stood out to me so harshly as a, like, okay, yep, I'm going to acknowledge that that's where we were in mm-hmm. 1990. Colorblind was what was being preached. And I, I, obviously not everywhere, but, like, that was sort of the the woke version of the day was, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. Well, because Stacey also goes on to say, I've never understood the big deal about black or white, Jewish or Christian, Irish or Polish or Chinese or Mexican or Italian or who knows what. Like, okay, just because, like, people are still different. Like, you don't have to pretend like there are no differences among people because that sort of – it – it doesn't acknowledge that people have different experiences because they are different. If you just try to say, everybody's the same, I don't see race, or I don't see color, or I don't see religion, it's like, well, that's bullshit because people are different and you need to acknowledge exactly. that they're different so that you can try to meet them where they are and see things from their perspective. Saying that everybody's the same and I don't I don't understand what the difference is. Like, no, <laughs> that's stupid. Yeah, 1,000%. Mm-hmm. And it's just it, – it, but again, that was that was what right. I mean. That was certainly not these books alone. That was definitely the mode of the day, right? And hundred percent, like all, all all over the place. And yes, we do have a much better understanding now of of the importance of not just equality but equity and understanding, all, you know, all of those mm-hmm. things. But even at the time, I feel like it should have raised some warning bells that, like, yeah, I understand that you don't care what anyone's background is and you don't see color, but there's a big difference being black versus being Italian. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm, I I fully acknowledge that Irish and Italian immigrants have their own messy history in the U.S., but now, claiming your Italian heritage is very, very different experience than for most people, I should say. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're an, you're an actual immigrant, that may be a, a different thing. But, you know, saying that my great-great-great-grandma was, a, you know, came over from Sicily is a very different thing than growing up as a person of color in the United States. So uh, anyway, I feel like that should have at the very least raised a a little bit of a red flag. But I get get why colorblind made white people feel good about, see, there's nothing different Mm -hmm. at all. Because to acknowledge that there is something different means to admit that we're the reason it is that way. And as we've discussed, the likelihood is that at Scholastic and – you know, Anna Martin's agent and whoever else was involved in this book series, it's very unlikely that there was anyone that was significantly different than Anna Martin involved in creation, writing, conceptualizing. So it's very difficult for them to have even had the idea that maybe we should get these outside perspectives to help inform how we're writing about these things because 
no exactly. one even had the idea in the first place. And I think we've touched on this in other episodes, but like that's part of the reason why all of the, you know, quote unquote other characters are treated the way that they are is because to the people writing these books and conceptualizing, like I said, those characters are quote unquote other. And so it's easier yeah. to say, I don't see those the otherness because I don't want to have to think about what that means to be quote unquote other and what their experiences might be like from that character's perspective. It's just easier to say, I don't see color. I don't see race. I don't see anything like everybody's the same. So yeah, exactly. We had talked about that around the the TV show too. And uh, a couple other places we had talked about the importance of, of representation behind the scenes as Mm -hmm. much as in front of it to be able to inform those stories. And I think that this is a, this book is a perfect example or it feels like an example. I don't know. We don't know for sure. I don't know Anna Martin's history and I don't want to presume anything, but it certainly to me feels very much of a piece that it was this book about divorce was written by someone with no personal connection Mm -hmm. to that experience and and was just writing about the things that they, they feel like they should say Uh, very similar to how that those things are. So I, I think that that's one area that, Having a, you know, singular voice driving things can be problematic in that way is because you don't get that range of of different ways of seeing the world, viewing the world. of And the more your, your group that you are working with looks like you, the less likely you are to ever hear those outside mm-hmm. experiences. So I think that for a long time, there was this real reverence for the auteur and this like you know one person and usually of course a man's and usually of course a white man's vision as the be-all end-all I'm, I'm really thinking about tv shows specifically because I, I feel like a series like babysitter's club lines up very nicely with a tv series not even you know i mean obviously it is but <laughs> but it feels very similar in that it's episodic it's reoccurring characters you know shifting focuses all of those things and one of the things that we've come to appreciate more and more as television has been able to be more niche and um, more focused is that some of the best work comes when there's people telling their own stories. And that means bringing in other voices. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, again, recognizing, I, I just acknowledged in that, that that's become a more and more thing and that we didn't, it was not that way. And I think that you know what, we're actually a little bit guilty of it too, because, you know, we keep pointing out, oh, this is this is actually Anna Martin or versus a ghostwriter, or, you know, when do the ghostwriters take over and how does that how does that work? But I think that maybe what I want is a series like this that has been worked on by multiple people to get multiple voices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're kind of getting that with the graphic novels, right? You know, there's different artists coming in to do the different books. So, you know, the story's the same, but we're getting slightly different perspective perspectives on things. And I, I really dig that. Mm-hmm. So that just got way philosophical. But I think that it, it really just goes back to the same issue that we see uh, over and over again is you can't have every experience. You can't know every experience. So you can't speak to every experience on that level. And I mean, that's just a reality, obviously, Mm -hmm. but it is a little bit unfortunate when it comes to 
when it means that we can sometimes tell by which which topics get treated with the most care, which things are the most important to the people behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Wow, that got heavy fast. Um, any other heavy notions before we move on to random thoughts? I think an hour's worth of heavy topics is probably enough. <laughs> well, I would not be surprised if heaviness continues to come up in the um, random thoughts either, because it's not like any part of this book was super light and airy. But what random observations, do you have anything that you wanted to call out? One thing is the way that apartment hunting and house hunting is treated in this book is completely (laughs) not. And obviously, I wasn't buying a house in 1989 or looking for an apartment in 1989. But like, the the buying the house thing in particular, like they Stacy and her mom decide to go to Stony Brook one Saturday and they just like stop and buy a newspaper to look for house listings and like call a random realtor and then they like go and look at some houses and the fourth house is great and <laughs> Mrs. McGill says to the realtor, like, Can you hold it for a week? I need to think about it. And the realtor just like does. And then after a week, she hasn't decided because Stacy hasn't decided if she wants to live with her yet. And so she like calls the realtor back and is like, you can start showing it again. I'll let you know if if I make a decision to buy it. And, um, you know, if it's still available, then I'll buy it then. And like, even in a buyer's market, like, no, <laughs> that's that is not how this works. So that that was just sort of like a random slightly more lighthearted because it's just so like out of left field like makes no sense even in 1989 i am certain that's not how buying a house worked what else i really i'm going to be a little bit sad that we don't get to see henry and grace walker as frequently not that we see them that much now but like i really love those kids like i wish that they would move to stony brook too so that like we can get more regular visits with them because they're just both so cute and like they're so they both seem like such good kids you know like and that that sounds bad because like kids can be kids like i'm not saying that kids have to be good but like they both just seem like really supportive of each other and they love each other and like henry uses toothpicks to turn his hot dog into a dachshund and like it's just adorable and he asked stacy if like a stegosaurus and a brontosaurus would fight if they would like who would win and he's just i I don't know i like i want to babysit those kids (laughs) I fully agree because there's a difference between being a good, sweet, kind kid and being like cloyingly perfect. Mm -hmm. And they are on the right side of that line. Yes. I really like their, their, their parents too. The whole family. I really dig them. I loved, um, as they're going away present, they had art that their kids made professionally framed Mm -hmm. and matted for Stacy. I thought that was so cool. I loved them. And since, you know, nothing in this world makes any kind of sense, let's, Let's just have them move to Stony Brook, too. Yeah, why not? (laughs) At least there was some acknowledgement of finances and having a limit to finances in this book. I mean, clearly we didn't engage with it a ton, but one of the big issues is Stacy's mom's spending. And then they do sort of acknowledge, oh, we can't afford our old house. We have to get a smaller house in Stony Brook. Again, very surface. I was like, uh, I'm glad seeing that it's getting paid at least some kind of attention, but still that's another area that these books really just sort of ignore Mm -hmm. any socioeconomic questions at all. The the sheer fact that her dad was able to afford another two-bedroom apartment and they were able to buy a house in Stony Brook, yeah, it 
anyway. Yeah. A, a little a little easy, even with the acknowledgement. Like, we can't afford everything. Like, eh, yeah. but you, you still are shopping at Tiffany's and buying $1,500 worth of whatever. Like, Right. And that was actually – I checked that the 1989 numbers are the same as in the version that you have. So th- it was 1989, like 1598. Wow. At Tiffany. Wow. That's yeah. a lot of money. So yikes. Did you have any random thoughts? I have one more before we get into fashion. No, not really. Other than Lane was surprisingly unsucky, this book. I mean, I guess I- I'm like looking back on it. She really hasn't been that terrible, you know, similar to some of the – poor other maligned characters, Mallory, um, who we have <laughs> looked back at with, you know, less than fond eyes. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, do I have to rethink Lane? I mean, obviously, we haven't gotten into some of her later appearances yet. But I thought she was great. I, you know, kind, empathetic, was bummed that Stacy was leaving, but didn't give her, you know, too much shit about it. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lane was great. Well, and Lane was even the one who suggested, like, maybe you should call Claudia. When she yeah, first comes exactly. over and about her her parents fighting, which I thought was really mature and great. Which uh, yeah, I think I feel like I definitely remember Lane as much more sort of snotty. I mm-hmm. feel like is maybe yes. the best way to say it. Like like she was she was clearly Stacy's friend, but just like always sort of seemed like above it all to me. Like too cool to really be Stacy's like real friend the way that Claudia and the rest of the Babysitters Club was like really her friends. But like obviously I acknowledging like totally misremembered lane because like she's a very good friend in this to stacy yeah absolutely so that was that was my only real other big observation so what is what's your final one because i'm dying to talk about the fashion my final one is just sort of like a, a very surface level thing i really appreciated the cover of this book is basically a mirror image of the cover of goodbye stacy goodbye Oh with my gosh, like the I positioning of like the cars and where Stacy is and where the you know the couple babysitters club members. I didn't. I need to pull them both out and compare them, and I can post a picture for everybody when when this episode goes up, so you can see too. But like, I think it might even be like the same non Stacy characters. So like, you know, it's Claudia and like Marianne and like a couple kids. Like, I'm I'll double check, but I I I'm sure that Claudia is in both of them. But like, I think it's very similar like staging whereas like like, as to where each of them are and where the car is and where the where Stacey is versus where like the rest of them are so I'll I'll do a compare and contrast but when I picked up this book to read it I was like that's exactly the opposite of goodbye Stacey goodbye and I really like appreciated that you know sort of mirror image bookend kind of situation with Stacey leaving and coming back I love that that really is one of the downsides of of reading them the electronic versions, is that mm-hmm. I don't get to look at the cover. I mean, I see it when I open the file, but then when I go back to it, and I'm, I'm, it's not like I pick up the book every time. Right. So I, I don't get to spend as much time with the covers, and I'd forgotten how much fun they are. I'd also forgotten how old they make the girls look on the covers. <laughs> yes, that is 100% true. They look kind of like 45-year-old divorcees sometimes, and we haven't really talked about that much, but it's true. Uh, now that you have opened up the art can of worms, I want to hear all about how awesome Stacy and Claudia are in this book. Well, there's also a really good Lane outfit. So yes. because it's a Stacy's a Stacy book, you know we're going to get a lot of fashion. And they're actually – I won't go through all of them, but when she goes back to visit the Babysitter's Club and has the sleepover, she goes through all of the girls in their outfits. So this is a very fashion-heavy book, but most of the girls are very – 
in line with what they always wear. So they're not very exciting. But first up is Lane. She always looks fantastic. Like right now, she was wearing this amazing black pantsuit. It was made from stretchy cotton. The bottoms of the legs were cuffed, and the top was short-cropped. She was wearing a leopard skin, leopard skin leotard under the top. Her fluffy brown hair had been permed several weeks earlier and had grown out to that perfect stage. From her ears dangled teardrop-shaped blue and green stones, and on one wrist were about 20 silver bangle bracelets. Like, I wouldn't totally want to wear it now, but like most of it I want to wear right now. Like I, I love all of that. It's it. Speaking of forty-year-old divorcees, like yes. she kind of sounds like a forty-year-old divorcee, but I'm totally here for it. I am into it. I loved the description of the perm because I mm-hmm. knew immediately what they were talking about. Yep, same. Your perm needs time to settle. <laughs> exactly. Has to has to relax a little bit. Oh my god, that's so funny. Her. Oh, yes. God. Okay. Love okay, it, love it, love so next description. This is Stacy. I put on one of my better outfits, short red pants with purple suspenders over a bright yellow and black sweatshirt. On my feet, I put perk. <laughs> Sorry, there's so many colors. And it's just like, <laughs> I, I've, I'll finish just. <laughs> Stacy, remember we've had this conversation. Stacy, I always thought was so sophisticated. And then whenever I have to read a description of one of her outfits, I start laughing. <laughs> so <laughs> Cannot wait. I love it. On my feet, I put my purple push-down socks and a pair of red high-top sneakers. I added jewelry, a big necklace with wooden bananas and oranges strung on it, and dangly earrings shaped like sunglasses. I fixed my hair. I brushed it until it was full and shiny. Then I rolled up a red scarf and tied it in my hair like a headband. My outfit was pretty colorful. I think I was trying to make up for the gray day. As soon as possible, I left the table, gave my teeth another brushing, gathered up my school books, put on my blue jean jacket, and walked out the door. I, so I highlighted that one too, because, oh my Lord, there is so much happening there. None of it sounds sophisticated. No, no. It sounds like third grade art teacher. Yes. And then, and then I got so hung up on the fact that she brushed her teeth again after breakfast. And then I got, I went through like this whole spiral. I was like, wait, is that a thing that everyone does? Is that something that I'm supposed to do? And now I'm I'm saying it out loud and I'm like, oh God, maybe it is a thing that everyone does. But (laughs) you're supposed to brush your teeth every half an hour. I thought you knew that. Like, I know that some, you know, technically you're supposed to brush your teeth after every meal, but like that just seems inefficient to me. Why would you brush it before breakfast and then again after breakfast? Like, it seems a little overzealous excessive? in the toothbrushing avenue. This is so dumb. Yeah. I don't know why I was so hung up on it, but I was so hung up on it. <laughs> it was a lot of brushing because she brushed her hair and she brushed her teeth again. So <laughs> that's true. That's very true. But lots yeah, of, lots it, of brushing. It's just, it's just so much color and so many different colors and. The sunglasses and the oranges and bananas. <laughs> also, this is another random thought that I had that I forgot to say earlier. Stacy and Lane go to like a fancy private school. Why don't they wear uniforms? Right. I was going to compare Lane to uh, Blair Waldorf earlier, mm-hmm. like sort of a proto Blair Waldorf. But you're right. They would be in some kind of uniforms. Yeah. Because they're definitely not going to like PS whatever. Right. They just sort of allude to, I go to a really good school. They neglect to mention which one it is. That's really funny. God, yeah. the, it's. I do have to stand up for our girl for just a second, though, because red and purple was quite the color combination 
back in those days. I had a red and purple outfit that I loved more than words. So I'm totally um, cool with red and purple together. I'm not cool with red and purple and black and yellow. That's fair. Too much. And then too, you throw on much. a then throw on a blue jacket on top of that. Um, because I'm yes. assuming that she didn't mean like just regular jean. And even that would be a lot at this point. So yeah. oh it, man. It's it's too much. It's it's too much. I'm sorry. Like I love you, Stacey, but no. <laughs> in the wise words of Tim Gunn, that's a lot of look. Exactly. Okay, final fashion. Okay. This good. is Claudia. When when uh Stacey goes to her visit to look at houses and she takes Claudia with her. Um, same old Claude, I thought, as we trudged up our front steps. Her hair was flowing down her back, pulled away from her face by a headband and a huge with a huge pink rose attached to it. She was wearing a long, oversized black and white sl- sweater, skin-tight black leggings, pink and black socks, and black belly slippers. Her jewelry was new, and I could tell she'd made it herself. You know those things about your best friend. Her necklace was a string of glazed beads that she'd probably made in her pottery class, and from her ears dangled an alarming number of plastic charms attached to gold hoops. See... Somehow, I think it's because the the sophisticated label on Stacy makes me expect something more sleek and polished because somehow that mm-hmm. works for me with Claudia. And I think it's because they refer to her as wild. But I do love that <laughs> it, it it sounded almost like a no shade, no shade when Stacy was like, oh, I can only tell it's homemade because I know these things about my best friend. You know, not not that it looks. <laughs> right. I could tell she'd made it herself. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a backhanded compliment. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then she's like, but no, no, I only know that because she's my best friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the thing with Claudia is like she's wearing pink and – or she's wearing black and white and pink. And That's true. Black and white are both neutrals and the pink is only in her socks. So it's like – it's kind of a lot of look, but like it goes together more. Like I almost would expect – Stacy and Claudia's outfits to be swapped because yes. I feel like like Claudia can get away with wearing ten different colors. It, it be like you said, Stacy gets that sophisticated adjective, and so she should be more put together. And Claudia gets the outrageous adjective, so she can be a little bit more quirky and out there. And so when Stacy is wearing these outfits that are not at all sophisticated and sleek, it's like. What is happening right now? Why did I think you were so cool when I was a kid? <laughs> I think it's one of those things. It's because they tell us over and over again that she is. <laughs> that we just mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, yeah, I buy that. <laughs> like, there was zero interrogation of whether or not any of those things are true. So so you were saying, and I completely agree with you, Lane is one of those characters that we maybe didn't remember quite as fondly as we should have looking back and our next book is a Mallory book so I'm interested to see what you recall or want to predict about this one it is um, Mallory and the Mystery Diary I will say for myself I am certain that I did not read this one probably because it was a Mallory book Mm -hmm. do you have any recollection of this one like that you are basing your prediction on or is your prediction going to be another one of those swing for the fences like mine it's definitely going to be oh I'm gonna swing far and wide because this rings not a single bell for me nothing about the cover looked familiar nothing about the title sounded familiar nothing I, I feel certain that I would have read this one because 
As we have mentioned before, I am a completist, so there was no skipping over anything for me. I would have started it, or I did start, well, after I read Claudia, I went back and I'm like, I have to start at the beginning and read them all in order. So I'm, I feel certain that I did because I was still reading, I know, later ones, but this is like a giant black hole in my brain. So I have made up a story in which Mallory discovers a diary that has some tragic love story written there and she makes it her mission to find out um, who the diary belongs to and bring them back together a la the notebook so that is my swinging for the fences prediction here is mine at the end of this book Stacy and Mallory ride home from the Babysitter's Club meeting together, and Stacy says, like, oh, we should hang out this weekend, or Mallory suggests, like, since since I live right behind you, like, maybe we should – give me a call this weekend and we can hang out. So my prediction is that Mary – not Marianne. <laughs> my prediction <laughs> is that Mallory and Stacy are going to be hanging out at Stacy's house, maybe cleaning things or unpacking or doing something. We know her house is from 1880. So I think they're going to find the diary in Stacy's house. And Ooh. maybe it's not the full diary. And that's why it's a mystery. So I think sort of along the same lines as yours, she's going to want to figure out whose diary it is. But I think that she's also – wants to find out the end of the story of whoever's diary this is. So it's like a, a two-part mystery. It's not only whose diary it is, but what the rest of the diary should say. Or I guess maybe not necessarily what the diary itself will say, but like what's the rest the of the story? Ends. Yeah. How does the story yes. end of this person who lived in Stacy's house, you know, 100 years ago? What is their Ooh. story? I like that one too. So we're on – Similar but divergent wavelengths. I can't wait to see which one of us is more accurate or... Or maybe a little bit more entertainingly, whose prediction is more out of left field and wacky. Because that is always fun to see when when one of our predictions is maybe not an accurate one. <laughs> right? So I try to, especially with as we're getting into these books that I'm remembering less and less, I'm trying to like find the right balance between... Make it a taking a big swing of what I think it might be and what I want it to be, but also actually being within the bounds of what these books are. So either way, I'm very excited. I love diaries. I love mysteries. As mm -hmm. we've discussed repeatedly today, we love Mallory. I'm I'm very in for this one. Can't yeah, wait. I'm super excited to read it. Okay, so any other final club business before we wrap up? So you can find us on the usual social places at Generation BSC. We're on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you have more that you want to say, you can always catch us at our Gmail, generationbsc at gmail.com. Okay. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.